Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Monday's February 14th. Happy St. Valentine's Day to all. Super Bowl yesterday, Notre Dame anticipating hiring its defensive coordinator, Al Golden, the linebackers coach for the losing Cincinnati Bengals. The Rams come on top, come out on top 23 to 20. How imminent do you think this, this hire is? It would appear that it is very imminent that Al Golden is Notre Dame's new defensive coordinator. I think we're at, by the time you listen to this podcast, levels of imminent. Um, maybe while we're recording it, who knows? Um, but it, I mean, unless Al Golden woke up today and just like, you know what? I want to stay in the NFL. Um, then that's that's the direction Notre Dame will go. Yeah, I would think that uh, news will leak of it. I'm wondering, you know, the, hopefully the hire can happen. <laughs> you would think that the background, <laughs> background, background check could be vetted by now, probably along the line. But uh, yeah, if, if yeah, but that's good news. I mean, he checked my boxes and I don't know if, I know there's there was some momentum for the the mystery candidate of Jim Leonard, who great coach too, and would have checked boxes too. But if he wasn't seriously in the running, you didn't lose him. I just want to bring that up to people. No, that that not lose him as a coach. You did not lose. Right. That ended that possibility ended quite a while ago. Dela McCullough, of course, is now official, uh, officially named as or named running backs coach. And with Golding, that that with Golden, that completes the staff, right? I mean, we've been bouncing around back and forth. <laughs> gain one, lose two, gain one. Golden would complete it, correct? Well, you can knock on wood about Tommy Reese now if you want. Um since the, the Rams will have a opening at their offense coordinator oh, position right. officially yeah. today. So yeah, it's, I mean, until the staff is announced and we talk to them, the staff is not complete. So right. I'm just going to give, I'm going to give it another week on this. I agree with you because the staff announcement has been, you know, they told media relations told us, obviously we want you to talk to the staff when the staff is announced. So until that happens, they're, they're keeping everything, everything close. Notre Dame did lose a, uh, an important analyst, though, Tim, on the defensive side of the ball. That should probably be part of our. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Nick Lazinski, a, a, about as good of a soldier as you could possibly ask for that would do anything and has done anything for Notre Dame. There just wasn't a spot for him on Marcus Freeman's first staff at Notre Dame, and he is uh, he's on his way to, to Vanderbilt to work for Clark Lee. So good for him. Is there a chance that Nick Lazinski comes back to Notre Dame? I would think that if there's ever a possibility and opening, he would do that. I'm sure Clark Lee realizes that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a significant loss. And I feel, I just, I think everybody that I can't say that I know Nick Lazinski well, uh, but I think everybody that is familiar with him and his work is a little bummed out that he didn't get this opportunity. He's, right. he's, he's, he earned it. He deserves it to a large extent. You know, he's always been there. He's always been a guy that when they needed somebody to fill in, when they had gaps in the coaching staff in between seasons that he's been there and he did it again. I mean, he was an extremely loyal soldier throughout this last, uh, throughout these last two months, but um, he's on his way to Vanderbilt. I mean, essentially he was, he was caught behind O'Leary in the pecking order of, really young defensive assistants and coaches around the Notre Dame space. Um, and so that once you're behind them, you can't get over top of them. So I, I understand why, you know, he had to, he had to leave for, to get the opportunity to be a, a first time 
well, first time FBS position coach because he was, I think, it was at Lafayette, if I'm not mistaken, um, yeah. where he was the linebackers coach. But yeah, I mean, he's a really valuable part of the organization. But um, you know, these these kinds of changes happen. This is college football. People, yeah, move it's around. interesting. If he had been the well respected for the last three years conduit and an analyst for tight ends. And John McNulty left. Nick Lazinski could have been Notre Dame, another, a Notre Dame position coach and assistant coach this year. But he's a linebackers guy, and you're bringing in Al Golden, who's a defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. I mean, he wasn't going to he wasn't going to be taken. Of course, we're not no. saying take him over Al Golden, but he was he was just caught in kind of an unfortunate. Or if he was a defensive line coach, right? Like if he had been a defensive line analyst, there's a chance he could well, be promoted cornerbacks. It's just like they didn't lose that position; they lost a position where they're hiring a defensive coordinator also at that position. Well, and initially there was talk about him replacing Brian Polian as special teams coordinator, right. but Brian Mason's clearly one of the better ones in, in the country, so you couldn't pass up that opportunity. I just feel I, I've had connections with the Lazinski family, uh, mainly his his uncle from 40 years ago when he was just a student at Notre Dame. And so, you know, I, a lot of people were pulling for Nick Lazinski. Yeah. Certainly the certainly – the, the, early entry freshman linebackers were, were pulling for Nick Lazinski. I, I want to put it out there, Tim. You said, like, we didn't know him well. I didn't know Nick Lazinski. I feel like I know Nick Lazinski well because of how much all the Notre Dame linebackers loved him. Right, right. That's, that's kind of the connection yeah. I would have there. It's like that's obviously there's something really there as a trusted coach. And as you mentioned, guy that could come back to Notre Dame. And Vanderbilt is a place where you probably end up coming back to Notre Dame. Yeah. Because you probably don't spend 10 years coaching Vanderbilt. Speaking of linebackers, uh, Norton received a verbal commitment in the class of 2023. Preston Zinter, the brother of Zach Zinter, who I liked a lot coming out of high school, they ended up being an offensive lineman or is an offensive lineman at Michigan. Um, I did a film review on him. Uh, Irish Illustrated subscribers uh, have had an opportunity to see that. Your comments, guys, on on Preston Zinter. He's, a, I think, a, a good really good high school football player. Um, I would, I'm interested to sort of see like what kind of ceiling he has um, and sort of where he fits relative to other recruits. Notre Dame is going to sign at linebacker and on the off chance he plays tight end, the same issue applies there too. I think that um, could, I, you know, probably uh, you know, a high three-star prospect who plays later in his career, I guess, is, is sort of – if you said, like, hey, what, what kind of career did Preston Zinter have, it might look a little bit like Bo Bowers. Well, yeah, and if you get – when you brought in Bo Bauer, you desperately needed a Bo Bauer and a Drew White. That's why Drew White started yeah. it, and Bo Bauer could have. Um, I, yeah, we talked about this offline. This I would take nothing away from – the pledge from Zinter, it is, I look at Sneed and Burnham and Drake Bowen, and I really like Tui Halamaka after, after interviewing, this is, I mean, I didn't interview Preston Zinter, so I shouldn't say this about Tui Halamaka, but like, I'm impressed with him. We like Nolan Ziegler as a sleeper. There's, there's five really good linebackers, right? So it's almost like our Ziegler and Zinter and the next linebacker they bring in all going to make it if all those other guys make it. I know Burnham can play Viper. It's just, it's a good problem though. It's not like, Hey, they just signed Preston's intern. And you're not excited. Like you could have been in 2010. You're like, Hey, this is good. This is going to work. There you go. Redshirt freshman, three-year starter, like Dan Fox and Carlo Calabrese and Danny Spahn. Uh, But they got Drake Bowen and 
Jalen Sneed. So on the recruiting needle, it doesn't move. It doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player. It just doesn't yeah, move the recruiting I, needle, like Pete said. I like him at, at tight end. Apparently, Nordim is looking at him or is considering him a linebacker. I think he is a he is an outstanding. He has the potential to be an outstanding blocking college tight end. Um, but I agree with you, Pete. I would say high three star. The composite the composite uh, listing that that twenty four seven Sports has is as a four-star uh, athlete, but 24-7 itself lists them as a high three-star uh, athlete. And I would agree with that. I think he's got great lower body strength. I think he can help him, but it's not necessarily, it isn't a, a verbal commitment that moves the, meet, the needle as we look at rankings. So uh, I think he's a glue guy. I think he's a chemistry guy. I think he's a, he potentially a, you know, a culture guy. When we talk, we talk about culture so much at Notre Dame. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I did want to mention before we forget about Super Bowl, Ben Skoranek, a Super Bowl champ. Khalid Kareem fell a little bit short, uh, but con- congratulations to those two guys for for uh, for getting in a Super Bowl 56. When are they going to change Super Bowls to the numbers as opposed to the uh, Roman numerals? They did, they did it for Super Bowl 50 because nobody wanted to have the L. In front of it, that's the only one. The, the, <laughs> it was, if you look at it, it says five zero on like all yes. the decals. I mean, we all understand Roman numerals, but you don't take the time to decipher it when you look at it. So why don't we just put a number on it so it's a hell of a lot easier? To I think recall. it's easy until like what? what what's the next weird one going to be like sixty seven or something like that? It's going to be hard to figure out seventy three. So one of those where you're going backwards from the from the five. I think seventy two, seventy three is going to be the hard one. Then they might have to change it. Geez, I'd hate to be old enough to remember every Super Bowl. Oh, wait a minute. I do. I lost a luster when the X wasn't the first number. I thought that was. No, that I know. Like, I, I put cooler. an X in front of it now anyway, even though there doesn't, doesn't need yeah. to be. Super Bowl XL. <laughs> All right. Uh, Notre Dame hoops. Obviously, things are on the rise there. We'll uh, address that in segment two with some questions coming back, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with more of a statement than a question from WC Peters underscore one. If L Golden is the new defensive coordinator, and I assume he is, I'm here for it. The halftime adjustments the last two games by the Bengals defense and the preparation for the Super Bowl were superb. Comments? I mean, we just don't know how much he has to do with any of that. Um, and this, the Super Bowl, if Odell Beckham doesn't torque his knee in the second quarter, probably the second half looks a lot different. So I, I'm much more into the fact that he's been a college head coach at two places. Uh, he has had a wealth of coordinator experience, even if it goes back to Virginia, he's obviously been in the league for the last six seasons. So he's seen some stuff. I want a defensive coordinator who's seen some stuff, has seen some stuff go wrong and how to turn it around. So what, if the Cincinnati Bengals were beaten 55 to zero in the Super Bowl, I don't think my opinion of Al Golden would be any different today. Those are all the things I have wanted in the coordinator and one position coach on offense since December, what, 16th? We talked about that. Is that about the range? Yeah. That's what I think they need on staff. And, you know, we'll uh, 
I, I don't see how you complain about Al Golden being hired as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, right? A Miami Hurricanes head coach that's a linebacker's position coach for in the Super Bowl and turned a Temple program around. I mean, it's, he's a that's a good hire on on paper. There is nothing wrong with this hire. Well, I mean, we'll he was a, how everything breaks down afterwards. My understanding is like he was one of the guys who interviewed for the Notre Dame head coaching job that went to Brian Kelly. Like Sorberg has said, I believe three guys interviewed, and I, I'm pretty sure Al Golden was one of yeah, them. At the time, that's that's probably correct. The thing, you know, I look. I'm not a big believer in one. You know, you see one game, especially as a position coach, not the defensive coordinator, and say, okay, now he's he's the guy. I, I and I, I don't know that. Did you say 55 to nothing? I don't know that. I, I don't know. I would have felt too good about 55 to nothing, but. But they would have made the Super Bowl. Exactly. Yeah, right, no, and right. look, I'll go, I mean, the one thing that I can, I think I can say with a pretty high degree of confidence is that L. Golden is an excellent fit for Notre Dame. He always was and, and always will be. He was a horrible fit as head coach of Miami. I think most people agree with that as well. Yeah. But the fa- I guess the big thing is the fact that he hasn't been in the college game. Look, if you if you were able to relate to people 15 years ago, 17 years ago, you can still relate to people. I don't think sometimes we take some of the nuances and blow them out of proportion. L golden is completely ready and in a position to be defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. If you could recruit 15 years ago, I'm sure he has the same ability to recruit. So I'm not concerned about that. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's a good fit for Notre Dame. And I do love the, the, the head coaching background. Um, Somebody made a comment on our message board about Swarbrick being involved in these. Why? Well, you have a 36-year-old head coach, and Jack Swarbrick's a very bright guy that can discern who's a good fit for Notre Dame and and who's a good football coach. So I'm completely on board with his involvement, especially at at this stage of, of Marcus Freeman's development as a head coach. I'm on board with it at any stage of Brian Kelly's development as a head coach. That's it's, it's part of his job. I mean, it is, it's a, it's people say Brian Kelly hires his buddies and to a fault. He probably hired from within his own tree, but most people hire guys they've worked with or know something about. Wouldn't you? Of I was going to say, why wouldn't you? Yeah. That's what just about everybody in the, everybody in, has some kind of connection, whether it's you as the head coach or your offensive coordinator has a connection with them, or your linebackers coach worked with them 20 years, you know, whatever. It's unrealistic to think that you're just going to pick names out of the air that you don't have any knowledge of or any familiarity with. So, um, you know, when they give up 40 points to, to if and when they give up 40 points to Ohio State, I'm sure the opinion will change because things change so rapidly as it, as it pertains to opinions about coaches. But I think it's a solid choice, and we'll see where we go from there. Wash ND with just one year of solid college production. What does Kevin Austin need to do at the combine to get drafted considering he doesn't have much initial value on special teams? I mean, don't, <laughs> he's got to have a sharp, sharp combine catching the ball. Um, good for, I mean, just the basics really, um, but do everything well consistently, which is not something that I think we would describe Kevin Austin as like super consistent um, at the combine. You need to be super consistent. I talking to 
talking to Dane Brugler, the draft analyst that we have at the athletic. And he, um, he was asking me a little about like, what was, what was up with Austin in 2019? And it was like, I was suspended. Um, and he's like, oh, okay. Cause I, and he was like, I saw he graduated. Right. I'm like, yeah, he was always sort of billed as like, this is a smart kid that doesn't always make like this, the smart decision every time. And he said, that's already sort of what he's heard from NFL people is just like, this is a bright kid, but, um, needs to show more maturity on a consistent basis. Um, so I, I think he will interview well, um, but he's got to go out and physically and just like check every box, not three out of six or two out of seven. Yeah, and I think it comes down to Kevin Austin from now through mid-August is the most important development for Austin because wherever he's drafted late, that's not guaranteeing a thing. It's how he shows up at mini camp. It's what he does at mini camp. It's what he does at camp. It's what team he goes to if he's a value add at that position of receiver. I've said it before. There's 100 Kevin Austins out there, but Kevin Austin, when he's consistent and playing his best, jumps up, jumps up in the pecking order of those guys. There's plenty of guys that can play in the NFL as a backup wide receiver. Now, Austin is certainly athletically gifted and a wide receiver if he becomes a consistent pass catcher. That's one of them, right? Just, not, I, there's just plenty of guys to draft like him. That, that's all I was ever saying. Not that no, he can't there, play in the NFL. There's plenty of talent there. It's just not proven because of one, just one full season. I think he was one of, I think I, it was in my Thursday thoughts, one of 40 wide receivers or maybe 38 wide receivers mm-hmm. at the combine. So he's going to be, there's going to be a ton of quality competition around him. But then what's the number one thing he has to do? I think, you know, I don't know how much uh, press coverage, how many press coverage drills or how much time is spent on that you would think that that would be certainly a portion of what the what the corners and the wide receivers go through if he can show the ability to get off press coverage in Indianapolis that will help him a lot if he has the strength to do that that will help him a lot I'm not positive that he does so his strength numbers might be important too but I just think the way he handles Press coverage, obviously, 40 times are very, very important for wide receivers as well. So he does have a lot to prove, but he'll jump a, well. He'll jump well. Yeah, he'll jump well. I, you know, change of direction. Is the foot, is there, are there any limitations from the, from the foot injury? I, it doesn't appear that there were playing a full season. Yeah. Was, you know, we started taking that for granted as the season went on. And man, that, that's not an injury to take. Fifth metatarsal is not an injury. To, is that right? Fifth metatarsal. But the him. surgery really helps. I mean, that's the thing. People, all, that's that everybody tells us, right? That you have to have surgery on that if you're a football player. Yeah. And you have to come back in the appropriate amount of time, not the I want to get back for the whatever game. Yeah. No, he's got a shot. He'll be definitely a, an interesting guy to keep an eye on when the combine starts. Uh, the first week of March, I believe, is when it when it starts. Next from Sean three three four. Seems there is some positive momentum with Dante Moore for Notre Dame. What are you hearing? I think there's always been positive momentum for Notre Dame with Dante Moore. Um, you know, the, the snippets, the snippets of information that we sometimes get in recruiting and our guys are really good about digging into the recruiting coverage, but some of that can be deceiving, you know, I mean, who's, who's leaning where, when months ahead of time, Notre Dame's always been uh, in a good spot for Dante Moore. I'm not saying they're going to get him, but they're, they're they're very well positioned at this point. Yep, that's sort of how I see it. Like Reese visited him twice in January. Freeman was up there once. They're putting in 
<laughs> a lot of time. I mean, it's to me, it's a really interesting test case, as is um, Chris Vizina. Um, how much having a active head coach in recruiting will help you with a top quarterback, because that's sort of what it takes for almost all top quarterbacks. Um, that's what's going to take for these guys. So, you know, if, if Notre Dame gets Dante Moore, it will be it'll, the the first win will be for Tommy Reese, but the second win would be for Marcus Freeman. I just speak for logic right now and interject the remarkable. It's amazing. I need to say this that Pete had to say it. How much does an active head coach help in landing a top tier quarterback? Uh, well, why would it? Why would it be increased now from the past? Give me one uh, reason why it increases now from the past. Brian Logic. Kelly's not here, and Marcus Freeman is. I'm sorry, those are two reasons. It's not. It's not. You don't have to hustle to get Dante Moore on your staff if you're Brian Kelly, who loves quarterbacks and offensive football, and you have one. That, that could be your one guy. That's the one guy, Coach. You need to make sure you stay in touch with. Not everybody on our board. We don't need everybody on our board. I want this guy every cycle, the quarterback. You stay in touch with him. Uh, that could have been advice Jack Swerbrick gave him. But, I, uh, I just don't. I can't. I can't. It sounds so weird. Even I'm going to bring it up every time someone says he's active on the recruiting. It it's is just weird. all it, summer. To me, it's, it's incredible. Like, now that he's gone, I think it's just it. It seems even weirder to me that you what what you know. And how many times have we heard now about recruiting? Now he never called me. No, he. I never talked. I never talked to Brian Kelly. It's just unfathomable, especially, especially with a guy like Marcus Freeman, know, knowing how he hits the recruiting trail. I mean, what, what press conference when you were Brian Kelly did you realize you had to change your recruiting theory for quarterbacks or other players when you're sitting there after the South Florida game? Was it after an Alabama game? Was it after losing to Pitt in 2013? But I mean, what? When at one point with all your quarterbacks, you're like, man, I really should. It seems like I should get a better quarterback. I would wish win this game. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's, you know, that just seems strange to me. Because I, it's, it's, I think it took all the way up to either Clem. It was either Clemson 18, Clemson 20, or Alabama 20, which is quite shocking. Well, if Clemson 18 that is doing for the 19 cycle, I have a problem. Because if you look yeah. across the field at Clemson 18 and thought, we're good. I got Clark coming in after that. I'm going to get Pine. And <laughs> gonna get, we all just got here. Guys, so did you, anyone else have flashbacks of T. Higgins jumping over uh, DB and like, yes. scoring I, a I touchdown? Told kids, I told my kids about it as soon as he scored. I was like, I've seen that guy score before. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, related I just, note. I, Dante Moore is the is the crown jewel, jewel of Notre Dame's quarterback recruiting. I do like Christopher Christopher Vizina. I think I think he would be a. I, am I conditioning myself for no, not getting Dante? I mean, I, th I think maybe based upon the last twelve years, I'm kind of conditioning myself to think that they they can't. But they're you know they'll do everything they can now to get Dante Moore. But I do think Christopher Vizina is a is a good quarterback that you can you can win big with with him as your quarterback. Uh, related what, note, Judge Arthur Vandelay. Any word on whether Notre Dame will pursue a grad transfer quarterback to provide depth? I have not heard any traction on that. Uh, Pete, you, same. Yeah. No, I, I think that it was early on. It was, it was something they have been interested in um, much more for the depth purposes. Like almost you have to find someone who's willing to come in that would is also fine. Not playing. Yeah. That's a tough, um, tough. So it's a, it's, it's a really, you're threading the eye of a needle with that. Um there's not, that's a small Venn diagram of guys like can help us, but is willing to not play. Oh, right. um, that's just it. It's a, it, so, I mean, to pursue a guy like that, it, it's probably a guy that can't really 
legitimately help you if he's willing to just sit. I think like the the only, I was going to say the only example I can think of a guy, I think you guys can correct me. I think Gardner Minshew was going to like Alabama to essentially do that. And then at the last minute was like, "Ah, I'm going to go to Washington state instead. But that's, I, I mean, I can't even think of it. I'm sure there are some other examples, but I cannot think of any. That's that you said, I have the needle. I was going to say that's needle in haystack trying to find a guy like yeah. that. Yeah, it is. I want to give credence to Arthur Vandaly's question, though, because Notre Dame would be much better off if their third quarterback this year was a grad transfer that's played football that could lend a hand to Drew Pine if, if the running quarterback, and by running quarterback, I don't mean he can't throw. I mean, he's going to run a lot. Tyler Buckner yeah. hurts his ankle twice or something. It would be much better to have him, but it's a delicate process to bring in a grad transfer quarterback when you're trying to develop Buckner and Pine. I mean, Angeli's not in the conversation yet. That's why. That's why you want a grad transfer quarterback because the, the, the early enrollee freshman isn't going to help you beat Ohio State or Clemson yet, most likely. Um, but <laughs> it's just it's a it's a needle in a haystack, right? Who you getting? You're you're bringing in. A, you want a guy that is Drew Pine as a junior graduate at Notre Dame, saying, you know what, I'm going to leave, but I don't want to start somewhere. I, I, it just doesn't make sense to, to, yeah, it's a really tough one. It, it's because Drew Pine, when, if he leaves Notre Dame, if he's not the Notre Dame starting quarterback in a couple of years and he grad transfers out to go start somewhere, he's going to go start somewhere. He's not going almost, to Alabama. He's not going to back up somebody at Alabama, right? He's going right. to start. It would almost have to be like somebody that, Hey, I always wanted to, I always wanted to be a quarterback in Notre Dame. Yes. Yeah. yeah that kind of thing, but it would have to know, be a much worse Jack Cohn. Right. Oh, way worse. Yeah. No, yeah. A much worse Jack Cohn, right? He, like Jack Cohn started two games at Wisconsin instead of 19 and no Rose Bowls. And he played against Northwestern once in Army. And he was like, yeah, I go to Notre Dame now. That, that's hard to find. Question from Drew 2000. Any more backstory on University of Miami coming at Tommy Reese? Did he entertain the offer and were there serious discussions? Did Notre Dame have to counter or did Reese shut down the inquiries pretty quickly? Uh, who wants to go first on that? <laughs> I mean, he he entertained the interest, um, but I am not I'm not certain whether he had a concrete offer or not. Um, but I do know that Crystal Ball was blowing him up, um, kind of like a call every day. But Mario Crystal Ball is not somebody who would just call one person. You know, it's not really he got a good. One it's too. not like he started calling Josh Gaddis. Yeah when you found out Reese was not interested in making a move, um, you know, you, you do that concurrently. That's, that's good recruiting. Um, you call a bunch of people and you call them a lot. So that's, I don't, I don't know for certain whether he had an offer or not. Um, I think it's worth noting that Reese already did interview with Cristobal a couple of years ago when he was at Oregon, that job went to Joe Moorhead. Um, I've heard some mixed things about Cristobal's sort of perception of Reese at the time, um, but that was two years ago. He's got a lot more film out there, a lot more of a resume to stand on. So that's ultimately he did not, he didn't go. So for now he's Notre Dame's offense coordinator. Kind of on topic to the Al Golden hire and hiring coaches, what we talked about. Do you guys think that, um, so like the Miami Hurricanes and the Los Angeles Rams and other schools that are interested in Reese are just overlooking that they didn't get it on fourth and four in the Fiesta Bowl? And maybe they're, they're looking beyond that play to hire a coach? <laughs> you mean it didn't come down to one play or one game or one quarter? Or 
Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I would like to say this, and I know that when Tommy Reese decided to stay at Notre Dame, they had the video of it. And I believe that he loves his alma mater and, you know, chose Notre Dame slash Marcus Freeman. I agree with all that. I also think that Tommy Reese's career first, Notre Dame second. And people, well, yeah, should, I hope so. People, well, I mean, people should absolutely yep. realize that because he will leave when the opportunity, when he deems the opportunity better than the one that he has in Notre Dame. He was, he was weighing Notre Dame versus Baton Rouge and Brian Kelly at that moment. He wasn't weighing every option he's ever had because you can't yep. do that as a coach. You're not going to know what's going to pop in your, in your, you know, your wheelhouse, your purview as a coach. Um, I would have had a problem with that speech in retrospect, had he jumped to Miami for the exact same job. Whereas I will have no such problem with that speech. If he goes to Los Angeles Rams or the NFL this year, that's right. And as far as the question about did Notre Dame counter, a counter is not in line here. They paid him. They paid him. Yeah. He got, he got countered and paid. You know, I wouldn't want Jack Swarbrick to counter if Miami said, Hey, we're good. Notre Dame already countered. Notre Dame already paid him with the contract that he, that he signed. So I'm talking about, you know, LSU against LSU. Yeah. Right. Right. With Marcus Freeman as head coach, that contract. Um, and then we'll, we'll go into the next question question from Rex Hampton eight. Tommy Reese is said to have total autonomy on the offensive side of the ball. New tight ends coach, Jared Parker seemed to seem to only have a Freeman connection and it happened very quickly. Reese interviewed with Miami shortly thereafter. Should we read anything into that? Uh, I think those are two separate things, although they're pretty easy to link. Um, but the first sentence is worth writing down because my perception of autonomy on offense was you had to pick who your assistants were. If you're Reese, clearly that has not happened uh, across the board. So that, that's something that uh, I think Reese and Freeman will and hopefully have already come to terms on because um, that's not something that you want just sort of lingering moving forward. Yeah, I think it, I have trouble, though, giving the offensive coordinator autonomy and hire in hirings completely. Um, but if you want to say there was not enough collaboration in the tight ends coaching hire in the amount of time it was done, I, I could get on board with that. But well, I just I think they just, they just had a disagreement. Like, yeah, they, exactly. One, one guy's the head coach and one guy's not. So the, and head, the head coach, coach should win because the head coach is going to be answering for the offense's success or failure yep. post game every week so i think that i get it i could see tommy reese wanting to be like hey this is the first especially your first staff put together when you stay as kind of the not the co-head coach but the coach of the offense i could see wanting your first staff put together but as time goes on marcus freeman should not be asking to marcus freeman gets the right of first refusal on every hire no matter who his coordinators on either side of the ball want going forward i think yeah i I mean i think reese is on board with he's standing stucky and i don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know why anyway, anyone would have an argument with McCullough. The no. Parker thing happened so quickly. That was odd, right? Yeah, it, 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 it was. And we know that we know that Reese was a, a McNulty guy and all things being equal, he would have loved to have had him stay, but I agree with you guys. I mean, at a certain point when you say autonomy, I mean, that, you know, as far as calling plays and how you want to design, design the offense and those things. And, you know, that, that's all good, but you can't, you can't make every decision. You're a 29 year old offensive coordinator and you still answer to the head coach. So and the tight uh, ends coach is still going to answer to you unless time, unless there's a, unless you have an objection to the hire 
as Tommy Reese, I feel that's different than I prefer someone else. Is that fair? An objection to the hire, like I have worked with this guy in the past and I am not, this is not a good fit. Then you're Marcus Freeman. You might want to really listen. Right. Yeah. No, I don't think Reese has any kind of familiarity with Parker that way, but it's like, I'm sure Reese looked at somebody like Nick Sheridan, who was the OC at Indiana and then got let go. And now it's the tight ends coach at the university of Washington who just moved there and says like, this is the guy I want to hire. Like they, they are close. They've sort of worked together without working together. Um, but that would have taken a process and Freeman was like, no, 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 let's, we're moving forward with this. And so head coach wins. Yeah. And it's, most would agree the process has already lasted uh, lasted long enough. So that was the I, quickest uh, one ever, though, from the McNulty department. That was the quickest yes. one ever, and especially with a guy with a, li- a little bit of a little bit of a trouble past. Yeah, you know, that was <laughs> that was. Pretty strange. I'm not speaking out of turn here, but what are they vetting on other people? If that just well, yeah, I've got a, I've got an interview with Jack Swarbrick later this week, and that that will be a topic that that we will discuss about the the pace uh, of the whole process, which I know, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our subscribers, a lot of our listeners and readers uh, want answers to those questions. So I will do my best to to ask some of those questions. Question. Speaking of questions from Ryan five, we're going to dip into basketball here real quick. If the Notre Dame men's basketball team is on target uh, from three, like they were against Clemson Saturday, what is their sweet ceiling, sweet 16 elite eight, maybe. Or if they run into a strong rebounding team with a strong big man, do they stand no chance? I think Notre Dame will make the NCAA tournament and this team play all things equal is capable of winning a game because they can defend, hit some shots, move the ball. If you say, what is their ceiling if they're on hitting all their shots? Well, their ceiling, if they're hitting all their shots from three is much the same as about 35 other teams is no one will beat them. Because if Notre Dame comes out and hits 12 of 18 threes like they did against Louisville, in the game at Louisville, no one's going to beat them, but they're not going to do that. That's not how it works in the NCAA tournament. This is a one-win team. If they win two in the NCAA tournament, that is a fantastic coaching job, or they drew a 12 seed that upset a five in the second game. Yeah, it's, I mean, what would they project more? Is they're kind of like in a 10, 7 to 10. Yeah. They could be yeah. a 7, could be a 10, or yeah. there could be 8, 9. If they're an 8, 9, sorry, you're not going to the Sweet 16. Like, that's... You know, right. They're not going to upset a one uh, in the second round, even though they've already beaten Kentucky. But that was at home, and that was like that was like three years ago at this point. Um, so yeah, it's making the tournament, winning a game. I think that would be a really good year. Um, Sweet Sixteen would be an incredible season, right. and that's like forget the ebb and flow of this year, which has been pretty bizarre. But like making the Sweet Sixteen, that would be that would be a great year, regardless of how this season played out. I, I think sweet. I would say the ceiling is sweet 16, because as you said, Tim, a 12, five upset, you, or you get the right matchup. You know, they are playing better defensively. If you don't, you know, if you play somebody that doesn't have a powerful front line, if you get that kind of matchup, I think their ceiling is, is sweet 16 elite eight. Now you're getting in. Now you're playing somebody that uh, now, again, you could play somebody into to get to the elite eight. That is a two-time upset winner. Yeah. There's been every year. They're every single right. tournament has a bracket. We're like, gosh, right. look at that easy road. Think about Mike Bray early on when Kent State made the Elite Eight when Notre Dame lost to Duke. And then Indiana beats Kent State's getting through to it. Notre Dame could have been playing Kent State. Yeah. I mean, those things don't normally happen. And look, they played a really good Wichita State team in 2015. People were worried about that game, right? Yeah. I mean, there's 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 tough teams in this tournament. Uh if Notre Dame's hot, 
they're really tough to beat because they well, can play I mean, now. Uh, the last time they were in the tournament, didn't they play Stephen F. Austin in the second round? Yeah. yeah am, I, am I mistaken on that? That wasn't their opening they game. Beat, okay. No, they play, beat Princeton the last time they were in the tournament. They beat Princeton and lost. I was sitting courtside for that game. They got that West Virginia team just overwhelmed them. Well, as we talked about last week, West Virginia playing against this yeah. team would be trouble. Now, there's still – I know we're always in a hurry, but there's still six games to go, and four of them are at home. And so you need to win those four home games. The seating, obviously, as you said, Pete, is critical because you can't be an eight or nine. You, you need to you need to rise to a, a six or seven. And I think that they can do that. If you look at the schedule, they're playing a bunch of, you know, Florida State. They got to go to Florida State. Florida State is really struggling. They're really. Uh, they are really struggling. They've had injuries. And so they're not the same. That entire conference, we've said it before. It's a running joke about the ACC, but. Louisville's down. Virginia's still pretty good, but they're not what they were. Florida State's down. I mean, you know, there are a lot of opportunities for you here. They have to beat Florida State. This this team, they've <laughs> never won at Florida State. Florida State's lost, what, six in a row? They're not recovering in a way. And it's not even senior day for Florida State. I looked this up for a story I wrote last week. It's not even senior day. There's like no extra added emotion. They have nothing going right now. You have to be able to beat Florida State, even though Florida State is a capable team. Yeah. I mean, their athletes have always bothered Notre Dame, but yeah, Notre they're Dame so is, long. They're deep. Yeah. He played Hamilton plays a bunch of guys. Notre Dame doesn't. And you got to be able to beat Syracuse at home. I, I kind of bumped that up in the possible upset range because Jim Beheim is coming to Notre Dame. And I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's, that that's the toughest of the home games uh, remaining. Another basketball question from W. Oosterhoff. Hate to talk about next football season when, when men's basketball is shocking all of us, but with the great class coming in and everyone eligible to return, who do you think stays? Uh, or does not get asked to return. I'm not <laughs> sure that anybody gets asked not to return. I think I think this is so funny because I read this as he wanted to ask about next year's football guys, who's going to come back in January, the way he apologized for the question. But now I'm glad we're still talking Maybe about that. Did I misinterpret it? No, I think you're right. Okay. I read it, yeah. Because well, that would be really hard reword. for me to do for next January right okay. now. Well, I kind of reworded it a little bit so it's more – because so maybe I misrepresented it. But So we don't – think we don't neither of our we don't think hubs coming back no i don't think hubs coming back and i atkinson just can't i i don't i, I want to ask if they're still trying about that with that. i think they are i mean i think it comes down to after the season's over or not you know right about the time where they're having meetings does does the ivy league relinquish its ridiculous stance that they're not allowed to play when they wouldn't let them play last year <laughs> that's unbelievable i'm gonna i i'm gonna go tomorrow to talk to bray yeah, yeah. Uh, just He's, he's, he's talking about it, but not in the last month. So definitely ask that one. That's yeah, I will definitely ask that, but uh, yeah, there's, a, I think there's a good chance. We know Goodwin wants to come back. I think there's a good chance that Wirtz and Ryan come back. Yes. Yeah. Wirtz is really, uh, Wirtz is coming on after being left. Uh, yeah, both him and Ryan have played really well. And then Lashewski, um had the injury, but uh, it was good to get him back on the court for 16 minutes on Saturday. Two weeks or about 10 days ago when we spoke with Bray, I think it was pre Duke. He did make the comment like, you know, hey, we invest a lot in you guys. Now it's time to pay me back with one more year. I don't <laughs> think he's he's not telling anybody to leave. I think in Prentice Hub's best, I mean, with J.J. Starling coming in, Prentice Hub would have to be even a more unselfish captain at that point because all yeah. of a sudden he's losing time now, a lot of time. Yeah, they're they're not at 13 scholarships, so they're just shy of that. I don't think they have to worry about not asking somebody yeah. back, but I, I meant to do the math before. There'll I, be I, undergrad transfers out, Tim, when you never play. That, well, that's true. No, that's true. All right. We've got a 
I know we're getting away from football, but baseball's about to start. Tim asked me. That, oh, yeah. ND615. I think this question's for Samson. Please give us a solid 90 seconds on Notre Dame baseball and what they can do for an encore in 2022. Well, what they can do for an encore is get to the College Wars World Series, which they have an excellent chance of doing for the first time in 20 years, uh, 2002, when they were last there. Look, real quickly, they, they only lost Nico Cavadas. And when I say only, that was a guy that hit 22 <laughs> homers and had 64 RBIs and hit 302 and had a 767 slugging percentage. They only lost Kyle Hamilton from the secondary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So Cavadas from the everyday lineup and Tanner Culp, who was really, really good, was drafted really good out of the bullpen. But their infield is intact except for first base. But uh, uh, Putz, who is their DH, will move into that spot. Their, off, their outfield of Cole Myers and Coetzee is back. It's very, very good. Uh, uh, John Michael Bertrand is in the ro- their top three guys in the rotation. Bertrand, Terrell, and Mercer are back. They've got some – where they beefed up is with the pitching staff where they have some grad transfers from Jacksonville Furman who actually played with JD, uh, John Michael Bertrand and a kid from, from Seton hall. They have a couple of freshmen that could contribute. They are in a position to go to the college world series, plain and simple question from dashing Domer. Would you bet that Marcus Freeman will be better or worse than 59, 54 and nine over his first five years on the job. That was what Brian Kelly's record was the last two, uh, five years. You think he will win a championship in his first five seasons? Too early to tell is an acceptable answer. First and no. Uh, the schedule that he plays is not remotely similar to what Brian Kelly played over the last five years. It's like he's he's sort of got a Clemson and Georgia combo that Brian Kelly had. Never once. I I don't remember. Did they play? They didn't play Clemson in nineteen. Um, no, no. So, yeah, so it's got Ohio State and Clemson each of the next two years, and then A&M comes on, at which point Bro Bible and Slice Bread's recruiting stuff becomes a lot more applicable to Notre Dame. That is a uh, time. And then, like, USC is not Clay Hilton's USC anymore. So, I mean, this schedule is going to be much more difficult for Marcus Freeman than it, frankly, than it ever was for Brian Kelly. Um you know, you could argue that Marcus Freeman's schedules, what, in the five years would probably be harder than, I mean, would it be harder than every schedule Brian Kelly yeah, played? Yeah, I'm doing it in my head right now. Um, so 2015. 12 was a good schedule. 12, but it, yeah, it was on paper. We're only doing it on paper. So that's Oklahoma, yeah. USC, and uh, Michigan State, Michigan. 12 was a good schedule. On paper, I say to you, Oklahoma, USC, Michigan State, Michigan. Miami Stanford back in 12 was good. That's a, that's a tough schedule. Um, it's uh, yeah, these are, this is a harder, these next two years are much harder. Um, we can't anoint A&M like we can Clemson and Ohio state to be fair, but you're right. It's, it's ill-timed and it'd be better to play AM this year, right. As opposed yeah. to three years. Yeah. It dips. It, it is a, a bit more reminiscent of the Holtz years when, when he was playing some, some top ranked teams, but I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead because we don't know the ebb and flow of the the ACC teams, which have been down just like it had, they have been in basketball. If everything was equal to Brian Kelly, I would still hesitate as far as schedule is concerned. I would still hesitate to say he's going to. I've been saying this for weeks. Was he going to win 54 games in, in five years? Like, yeah. Brian Kelly did the odds of a first-time head coach doing that are slim. Now, Ryan Day has done that 
and he inherited a tremendous program and Marcus Freeman's inheriting of a very successful, very, very good program, but a first time head coach, I know the talent and we totally expect the talent level to be up because he's going to recruit better than Brian Kelly did, but 54 wins in five years for a first time head coach. We've got to be a little bit realistic and say the odds are against that happening. I'd like to add that before Kelly left, maybe it's the beginning of the year, it's probably an off-season conversation. I said the next coach will not win more games than Brian Kelly did in a five-year period. I, there was no coach name. There was no thought of it being Marcus Freeman, obviously, because he was he hadn't coached a defense defense for Notre Dame yet at the time. Fifty-four and nine, especially the number nine, is what to remember. Like Kelly could have had two more games because of COVID. Now, so games fickle. probably are not Alabama twice, so you're looking at 56 and nine, right? You're probably getting some junk in there from the ACC. 65 games in five years for Freeman. I mean, if he's 55 and 10, that's awesome. What if the head coach was fickle? I think the same thing. Would uh, I don't apply. think it would be any better for the recruiting period. The, the following three years, like Luke Fickle, I don't think would do that much better against Ohio State and Clemson, Ohio State, Clemson, USC these next two years. I like Marcus Freeman recruiting prowess when they get into 2024 and 25. Because remember, like if it's A&M and USC are your killer games there, that's, that's nothing compared to these Ohio state and Clemson. What, how about this? How how about this? Will Marcus Freeman have a betting better winning percentage against top 10 teams than Brian Kelly? Yes. Okay. I would think, now I don't know about, I mean, I would say over the long haul, I would anticipate that, but it's just, it's just very difficult for me to project something. I mean, were we had, was this question asked on January 3rd? No. And you know, Tim, also a good point that Pete just makes there. Like, so that the streak was snapped, right? Kelly's streak was snapped. Notre Dame was favored. They lost. When's the last time Brian Kelly lost as a favorite, right? All the way back into the 2017 yeah. season. So that streak was and snapped. That's another thing. I mean, we're, we're assuming that, Marcus Freeman will win. And look, I'm not down on him. I don't, I don't want this to be misinterpreted, but we're assuming that he's going to win all the games that he quote should win. And that's difficult to do. Brian Kelly is an extremely veteran football coach. That's why he was able to do it. The, the, The schedule does open up a little bit compared, not compared to Brian Kelly's last. I mean, if you look at November or something like that, it's just ridiculous, but 2024 and 2025 are not Ohio state and Clemson. Like, those are Ohio State, Clemson, and USC. If you're just peeking ahead, AM, Purdue, Miami of Ohio, Northern Illinois, Georgia Tech, Navy, Virginia, USC, Florida State, Stanford. For crying out loud, that Marcus Freeman better have it rolling through that schedule right there. That's you gotta if if Brian, if he can't go eleven and one in one of those two years, then he's not doing as good of a job as Brian Kelly. But you're assuming that like Stanford's going to stay down and but they Stanford that, shouldn't get to Notre Dame. You know, a good assumption. Probably not. No, it is a good. I agree. No, I I, I agree. But that you know, there there are ebbs and flows for every program. Yeah, I'm trying to be fair. If we're saying Notre Dame is not as good as Ohio State and Clemson in two years, these other teams are not as good as Notre Dame. Is the best yes. best way for me to put. That's it. okay. All right, that's fair. All right, we're going to end with a question from uh, Sodak, which I believe is South Dakota Sodak Irish fan. In the spirit of Valentine's Day, which Notre Dame player you have covered was your secret football crush? God. <laughs> Mally, go ahead. I don't well, know. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> so like how good they are at football or I like interviewing them? I don't know. That's why I want to say I have never in no. my life had a secret Notre Dame football. <laughs> no, no. Uh, let's see. Low key guy to root for. 
we has to be somebody that wasn't the, I mean, all of us was Fink, right? We brought Fink from the walk-on to the scholarship. It was us. That's true. Yeah. Crying out loud. We were responsible. We saw before Brian Kelly did. Yeah. I mean, like us, three of us and Max Redfield that noticed first that Chris Fink should be on scholarship because he kept getting yeah. toasted by yeah. Fink. So <laughs> Yeah, it's like favorite players to cover. Um, I mean, McClinchy would be really high on that list. Basically, for me, it's like, were you a good interview or not? Well, um, that's, that's where the yeah. McGlinchey was. McClinchy would be an elite interview. What about and, Nicholas? <laughs> uh, he would be high on that list, too. He would definitely be high on that list. For a different reason than Mike McGlinchy, though. Lewis Nix. Yeah. Tyler, Tyler Newsom was a whole bunch of fun. I love Brady Quinn. In Brady Quinn's senior year, the way he dealt with the media, it was just it was just a very comfortable interaction, and he had so much fun with it that that always kind of jumps out at me. I mean, I love, you know, going back in the day when I could attend practice and you'd watch Chris Zorge play every day. Yeah, I had a crush on Chris Zorge the way he played football. All yeah. right, Priester, what year is this for you? It'll be 41 coming All up. All right, well, in year 41, you have your first secret football crush because you interviewed him last Friday. Bill Shrouth, not even Billy anymore. Billy, you know, Bill I'm, Shrouth. I'm, I'm, oh, Billy Shrouth is uh, is going to be a good football player in Notre Dame. They, you know what? The reality is, all seriousness, yeah, I've been doing it for forty years, and I and I said it. The, I mean, I am. So, I feel so blessed to have been able to cover Notre Dame for forty years. I don't know what it's like to cover cover other programs, uh, some of the state schools, et cetera. But I'm quite sure that it wouldn't have been as enjoyable as what i've experienced the last 40 years good note to end on right there how do you just feel about that <laughs> no I, I i have walked out of interviews with other teams when especially basketball uh where we interview other teams more so than football we haven't man we haven't sat down with other football players other than bowl games in a long time right that just doesn't yeah. happen yeah. um yeah I've, I've noticed when you when you it's it's nice interviewing Notre Dame student athletes yeah you i mean if you Ninety-nine percent of the time, you feel like you're uh, you're having an adult conversation with. I it. should point out the whole Alabama interview system. Uh, I felt like I was having adult conversations with every person I spoke with on that Alabama roster too. Now, I did seek out the better players that are media savvy as well, right? It's not like I went and yeah. found everybody. On well, the you better, roster, you but... better be a you better have some maturity to play for Nick yep. Saban, right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think in talent obviously too, but maturity as well. All right, we're going to wrap up there. We're going to come back next week on Monday, February 21st. We certainly anticipate that we'll be talking about uh, Notre Dame's new defensive coordinator uh, signed, sealed, and delivered to Notre Dame. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that next, uh, next Monday, February 21st. Thanks for joining us on Valentine's Day. Have a good day.